And let me pray for us and get started. I'm Kevin Carson. I have the privilege of serving Christ as pastor of Sunrise uh, Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri, as well as the Biblical Counseling Department Chair of Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary in Springfield, Missouri. And it is a joy to be down here again with you. Uh, those of you who've been in here before, you've possibly uh, we've possibly been here together, and that's perfect. Uh, it's just a joy to be with you again. We've got, I'm going to be talking to you a couple times this weekend, and we're going to start with uh, social media or social internet and relationships in Christ. Um, and so, as we get started with that, why don't we have a prayer together? Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for these brothers and sisters. Uh, what a joy to be able to meet together, to think about your word, to think about our society and the circumstances that are around us. I pray that you would give us wisdom as we think through these issues and that at the end of the day, of course, you would be honored in both what we say and and how we think. Lord, we desire to be better um, brothers and sisters in Christ, Parents, spouses, grandparents, brothers, sisters. There's so many various relationships, co-workers, all these various relationships. We desire to do them well, and we know that this issue is one issue that that possibly we can do better, but if not, we can at least maybe help our counselees and those that we go to church with and spend time with to think through better. Uh, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So social media, uh, we'll try to call it social internet for the most part. It is, uh, boy, that is a deep hole, isn't it? Uh, you can get into a lot of trouble on your phone or on any gadget, I guess. It is uh, an issue that we want to think through. Specifically, as we think through the starting, why don't we talk about uh, what makes this a significant issue uh, generally? In January, this is January of this year. Look, there are 7.91 billion people in the world. And of those, 5.3 billion have mobile phones. 4.95 billion have used the internet. And 4.6 billion people, or in other words, 58.4% of the population are active social media users. So, as biblical counselors, we have a, a big group of people we can talk to about this, right? There are four, over four and a half billion people uh, associated with specifically social media in the, in the world. Let's talk a few more things. Uh, the number of social media users, we just said 4.62 billion. Here's a couple of, of interesting things. Um, year on year... There are 10% more users on social media than the previous years. Uh, a couple of these I was actually surprised in. Uh, age 13 and above, 74.8% of the world's population use the Internet. That's a large number when you think about the world generally. Uh, 93% of total <coughs> internet users are on social media. And 
Isn't it interesting? More men than ladies. 46% ladies, 53, almost 54% men. So what about the total population of media users in particular places? In North America, notice it's 82% uh, of the general population. Uh, 73 Central America. I think right Africa, Middle Africa is 8%. So you say, who are the people not on the internet compared to the large population? It's Africa. So that skews our numbers, doesn't it? That would mean that there's a far higher percentage than the world average in the United States when you take a whole continent, basically, or middle of a continent, and make it just 8%. Central Asia, just 33%. Southern Asia, 34%. So that means the free countries, a lot of non-Muslim countries, they're going to have the highest use of social media uh, for sure. All right, so what about teenagers? All right, this is, right, for those of us who are parents uh, and grandparents, this is shocking. Uh, some of these things you would say, yeah, I get it. Look at 70% of teenagers, ages 13 to 17, check social media more than one time a day, and look, 16% of those almost constantly, right, that would be their their words, 27% hourly. I'd hate to ask in the room, how many of you check social media hourly? Uh, some of you may not ever. My wife is 100% not on social media. So I check it twice as often, right? So that our numbers so our numbers work out. Uh, you can see on the far right side, 19% of teenagers don't use social media. Uh, these are 2018 numbers, so it might be higher even today. Uh, that's not I couldn't get up to date numbers on that. So notice then in this little block over here, I'll have to read some of them just because of its size. Shocking facts about social media addiction. Experts estimate that over 210 million people worldwide suffer from what they call social media addiction. 15% of people aged 23 to 38 admit that they are addicted to social media. Teens who spend more than five hours a day on their phones are two times more likely to show depressive symptoms. That probably doesn't surprise any of us. Seven out of ten teenagers who use social media for more than five hours per day have a significantly greater risk of committing suicide. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm around teenagers, I went with a bunch of teenagers out to lunch uh, last Sunday. And I was sitting, sitting talking with a few adults. I was watching all the teenagers and everybody was looking at their phone. Right, so if they're doing that at a lunch table when they're there to hang out with each other, how much more are they doing it when they're not with other people? So 7 out of 10. And then 27% of children who spend more than 3 hours a day on social media display poor mental health. It doesn't surprise us, does it? The purpose of this is just to show the significance of this is, is incredible. So what's our goal for this afternoon? Our goal is to define the problem. So we'll look at that. We're going to offer some biblical solutions. 
and hopefully provide you some wise application. That's our hope for our time together as much as possible. Now, I'm going to give you some quick definitions. They're not in your notes, but they're just basically so that what I'm saying and you're, you're hearing, those are the same things, right? So it's not important necessarily to write these down. There's too much here to try to write down in terms of these definitions. But when I talk about social internet, I'm talking about websites and application that enables users to create and share content or participate in social networking. So we're talking about stuff like WhatsApp, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, those types of things. I like to call it the social internet. You can call it social media, uh, but it's more than just simply media. Right, I think social internet, and we're going to talk about a book, Terms of Service, by Chris Martin. Uh, I think ter- social internet seems like a better term. So what is a social media algorithm? You've possibly heard that term before. It's a way of sorting posts in a particular user's feed based on the relevancy instead of publish time. Social networks prioritize which content a user sees in their feed first, by the likelihood that they will want to see it. Right, so if you are aware of cookies, right now it seems like there, I don't know if there's a new push or what, even my own website does it. Uh, but every website it seems like I'm visiting right now is asking me more cookie questions. Right, do you accept the cookies? Well, there's some you, I try to reject them all, but there's some you can't reject if you're going to use the site at all. So, you typically will pick up one of those cookies from a site that you've visited and that will then trigger your social media to put you in a particular algorithm. It will highlight, right? And, and the reality is there are more, there are more uh, apps on your phone that are taking information from you than what you realize. So people say, I think my phone listens to me. Uh, Yes, it does. (laughs) Right? So you don't have to wonder. It does listen to you. Uh, And listens to you (laughs) from the standpoint of literally you can be in a conversation about something with somebody in your home and the next time you check Facebook, there are ads for those things in your feed. That's the algorithm. So the algorithm, as we're going to talk about here in a moment, uh, those really present an awkward world. You create your own world with your own algorithm. The stuff you look at, think about, talk to others about. If you go online, if you're shopping, all those things impact what we call or what they call the algorithm. And then the demographic data. So any conversation about demographic data, that's just information including the breakdown of a population by gender, age, ethnicity, income, employment status, home ownership, internet access, all of those types of things. And so much of what the algorithms are often uh, divided by uh, certain elements of demographic data. So what's the problem? Right? We said we were going to define the problem. Let me give you, when we talk about the problem, here are five ways the social internet has impacted us. Five ways. Now, these are from, 
It's there in your notes from Terms of Service by Chris Martin. So these are not my words specifically. These are the, and I have used his words and, and the five that are listed here. It's just the way he presents them in his book. I'll explain it a little bit, nuance it some for you. But the purpose that I'm giving you his, this is literally from him, not from me. I don't want to steal any part of that. Uh, what are those? Here's the first one. He would say one problem with social internet is that we believe attention assigns value. Attention assigns value. Now, what does that mean? Well, he would say that when you get a like on your social media, so every app has its own way of generating what some of us older people would say Facebook likes. Right, so when you get a like, he would suggest that that produces happy feelings in your brain. And the more likes you get, the more happier you get. So when something you do goes big and you get 10 likes or 15 or hundreds, right? Every time someone likes it, it's producing something inside your mind, right? And in some ways it can be very addictive. He says, when that happens, basically we believe two different lies, here are the lies he would suggest. A trending or viral piece of content, right? So if you put up a cute picture and all your friends start liking it and sharing it, he would say that in your mind it becomes important simply because it's popular. Right? So it may not be important at all. But it's a lie that we can believe because, oh, well, this was popular Therefore, it must be important, right? That's not necessarily true. Here's the second thing. He said, when people pay attention to me, they are telling me that I'm valuable. So I've heard people say before, possibly you have too. Well, I shared that and no one liked it. Meaning, I must not be popular today, right? Or no one's paying attention to me. Because they connect, right? So he says, we believe attention so attention on social media, that's what assigns value to me personally and to the stuff that I'm sharing. So that's the first problem that he would suggest. Here's the second one. We trade privacy for expression. We just talked about this a minute ago. Social media companies monitor everything. Now, when you read, again, you could read this book. You don't have to, but it's fascinating. You could probably get blogs and stuff to tell you about it as well. But when you find out what they're monitoring, it's fascinating. Everything that you post, social media monitors. Everything you click on. In fact, there are places on some of the apps like Facebook. Uh, I know probably most about Facebook because I'm old. Um, but if you go on Facebook, you can. there's a couple of different places you can get a list of everything you've clicked on. Right? Why? Because they're tracking that. So they know what you're clicking on. If it's an ad, there's a place you can find all the ads you've clicked on. If it's a, uh, a different post, if it's something you shared, there's, you can get all that information. In fact, even, their computers even pick up. So if you are scrolling... If you're scrolling through something 
And so I'm not paying attention right now. But if I'm a little bit slower on this one, it looks like it's a post about a grandchild from one of my uh, childhood friends. Well, even though I haven't looked at that necessarily, and even if I keep going, and I don't click, I don't see anything yet with a click on it, but if I don't click something, even if I don't click on it, they identify how long it paused on my screen. And so you don't have to click on anything for them to create an algorithm, right? It's just the speed at which you're going through your feed is collected and they begin to process that information to determine what it is that interests you. So what, what are we saying? We trade privacy. We invite them to track all of those things. You say, well, I don't invite them. And in fact, every six months I write on there, you have no permission. <laughs> I hope you don't do that. <clears throat> if you do, God bless you. Right? That's, uh, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I have dear friends who do that and I just laugh. Because that means nothing. Right? You're, the fact that you're using the app... You're trading the opportunity to express yourself for privacy. So that's one element. They are designing essentially an echo chamber of your own ideas. You can, you can click on certain things and say, I don't want to see stuff like this anymore. It'll occasionally pop up, it'll, but it'll be less. And those things that you click on, what? They're going to bring those into your feed. They're doing that for a couple of reasons. One reason is if they keep you looking at the stuff you want to look at, then it produces advertising dollars for them. Right? So it's not because they like you and want to make you happy in their product. Right? It's all uh, for their benefit. So they're designing an echo chamber, meaning, uh, let me give you an for instance. When the queen died, I read several articles about the queen and what was going on in England. And now my media feed is full, possibly yours is as well, of stuff about, formerly about the queen, stuff about Prince Charles, or no, the King Charles III, about Prince William, right? My, and then Meghan Markle and whatever, her husband's not Harry, right? All that stuff's in my feed. And now to be in your feed because your phone has heard me say it to you, right? So you can share the joy. So it becomes an echo chamber, which means if you have a political view point, that is conservative, the majority of stuff in your feed is going to be conservative. If you're liberal, it's going to be liberal. What does that ultimately do? It tells you the lie that your opinion is a majority opinion when your opinion may or may not be majority. Right? It just, again, it distorts the world so that what you see in your social media isn't consistent with actually what's in the world around you. It is tailored for you. So to the extent that you like wicked things, it's going to be toward wickedness. Right? So there's a sin. I'm saying that just simply for the sake, not yours, of course, but for the sake of our kids and grandchildren. 
and the teenagers and the people in our church. And so there's an echo chamber of your own ideas and they monitor everything. Number three, he would say, we pursue affirmation instead of truth. We pursue affirmation instead of truth. Now, what he describes here is that the algorithm only feeds our bend toward validation. We like to think that people think like us. So when you're sharing whatever it is you're sharing, you say, well, I only share uh, apple pie recipes. That's fine. When you get online, you're going to find all kinds of recipes about apple pie. And again, it's, it's done to draw you to it. But at the same time, a Christian can be drawn into idolatry very easily because that algorithm is actually feeding your, your idolatry. Right? It's feeding the things that your heart is bent toward. As Christians, who else should be more interested in sharing and pursuing truth than us? Right? We should be the most interested, but at the same time, we aren't necessarily pursuing truth. I, I think I looked up, I don't know, somebody suggested me, suggested I look up something related, I don't even know what it was, some kind of uh, diet or something that somebody was selling. They said, hey, you ought to check this out. I think this, you would find it interesting. You talked to a lot of people. And I looked at it, and now I can't get rid of these gummy ads. They are all over my Facebook feed. Right? Eat these two gummy bears a day and you're going to lose 100 pounds. Right? I know that's not truth. Right? Or you could eat four gummies a day. Right? I would be happy to do that. But that's just going to waste my money. And I know that. So it's affirmation rather than truth. Look at number four. We demonize people we dislike. Now these are his words. I would not choose to use that word, but I'm following his book. Here's a question. Do you believe the lie that people that disagree with me are harmful? You may not agree, right? Upon hearing it, you may say, well, no, that's not true. But once you get online, it's easy to see people that you disagree with as harmful to you, as people that are bad people, right? Very careful. If we're not careful... Social media helps reduce our view of people to simply pictures and words. And we think of them as pictures and words instead of fellow image bearers. So you may think of your favorite politician, whomever that would be, and your least favorite politician. And if you're not careful, when you see images of your least favorite politician, pay attention to your attitude. Pay attention to what you feel in that moment. If you're on social media a lot, it's easy in the moment of seeing the picture of your least favorite politician that you have a, hint, have a sense of, I don't like this person. That's a greater sense driven by pictures and articles than what the Bible says is this is a fellow image bearer of God. 
Right? So your social media, if you're not careful, can move you. Again, that's his term, demonize. In a cultural, in a world of full of cancel culture, certainly that's probably a good word for it. But we can very quickly see people we should love and care for as less than people, simply as a position or as our enemy. Right? If you have a grandchild or a child that is struggling with uh, struggling, we're going to talk later tonight, tonight about same-sex attraction and homosexuality. If you have a child that is struggling in those areas and you see those things on your social media feed, it would be very easy for you to forget that these individuals are in the image of God and begin to see them just blatantly as your enemy in any number of things. Here's number five. He would suggest we destroy people that we demonize. We destroy people we demonize. And again, his words, but what we call that, really what he's talking about is cancel culture. Cancel culture often seeks vengeance instead of justice. So we cancel each other. There's entire fights. There's entire networks. Depending on what your view of one thing or another that you like, there's many places you can go. So the social internet really can produce some difficulties for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Because it can influence us in ways that we're not even being aware we're being influenced. I work, I mentioned to you already, I worked for, I do work as a faculty member. Uh, and so there's a degree that we offer, uh, online education. There's, in one of, in the seminary, we offer a Master of Arts in Biblical Counseling in online education. And so last week, I was at the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, their annual conference. And so our marketing folks said, Hey, we're here. You're going to that conference. Yes. Where is it at? Oh, it's in Memphis. We're at in Memphis. Oh, it's at the Bellevue Baptist Church. There's a couple thousand people. It's going to be at the conference. They say, oh, perfect. And so what do they do? They contact the company that helps us do marketing. And they put a fence. I'm not sure the word. It's some kind of fence, a geofence. I think it's the word around that church property so that every visitor that comes in that property that has their phone on, we are sending marketing to them saying, hey, you can study with Kevin Carson in the Master of Arts Biblical Counseling. And so you have 3,000 people who are at a conference and they're all getting targeted ads to them simply because they showed up at that conference. That seems crazy. But you can do it around churches. You can do it around anybody, anytime. And people do. When you walk through Walmart, they have geofences around. That's a different word for inside a store. But basically, they're doing the same thing. So that if you pause in front of a particular kind of food, it's identifying you by your phone. And they will send you targeted ads based on even the food that you stop in front of inside of a Walmart. And if you don't knew that, if you don't know that they do that, then, hey, welcome to the new world. It's nuts. So it's a significant issue how we handle these things as Christians. So what about the sin element? 
I think there is sin associated, if we're not careful, with social media. Let me give you a couple of examples. The Bible says they will know you are my disciples by your love. In John 13, verses 34 and 35. It's Jesus' last couple of hours with his disciples in the upper room before they go out into the Garden of Gethsemane and then he's going to go to the cross, right? So we're the last hours that he's with his disciples and when he's with them, he says, hey, one of the ways they're going to know that you love me is by your love for one another, which would what? Say that love is a pretty big deal then for us as Christians. Here's another principle. Same talk. Here, Jesus is not talking, he's praying, but it's in the same conversation. right? John chapter 13 to 17, it's all one conversation, it's one discourse. It's in the upper room. In that particular passage, he says, they'll know you are my disciples by your unity with one another. They'll know that I truly exist in the way that you are unified together. Jesus mentions that while he's praying. So I think these two principles are critical principles for the way that we live every day. Right? For us to function as followers of Jesus, which we would say we are, Jesus said there are these two critical components in the way that we function together as a corporate body of Christ. And those two components, one would be love, one would be unity. And so, what is the sin then of social media by followers of Jesus Christ? I would say the sin is often a failure to demonstrate the love and unity that we have in Jesus Christ. And if you wonder if that ever happens, you really don't have to wonder. I imagine most of you know what happens. Look at COVID positions. Vaccination versus do you take a vaccination or not? Do you keep your church open or do you keep it online? Do you, do you, do you, right? All kinds of COVID issues, political issues. One Christian says, well, if you love Jesus, you're going to vote this way. Another Christian says, well, you're just a white nationalist. If you, right, there's so many positions on the, in these various ways. And Christians fighting against Christians. Like the Gospel Coalition. Seems like a lightning rod. If you ever read their articles. For Christians who are fussing with Christians. And it's not just them. It's many, many, many. Twitter is a... Is a it's just a trash heap. It's a... Um, a dumpster fire. Of opinions where Christians are... After Christians. If you happen to be a Southern Baptist, don't go to Twitter unless you want to be discouraged because Southern Baptists just fight all the time on Twitter. Right? One, one's for one thing, one's for another thing. You say, what's the deal? Because on their social media, they fail to demonstrate unity and love. Which means what? They're failing to demonstrate the existence of Christ and the difference that Christ makes in our lives. Now, the Bible does say when we have disagreements, we're supposed to do something about it. The Bible certainly presents a way to handle conflict 
But none of those things probably are public and should be done over social media, especially as unbelievers watch. In fact, you might jot down this text. I don't have it later, so I'll just throw it in here. I think we could use 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. I would argue that the way the algorithms work, that we are feeding the lust of our soul often on social media without even knowing it. You say, so are you on social media? I am. So I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm not aware of these things and also participate, although I do my very best to try to stay out of these things. But then notice it says, have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So the responsibility we have in the way that we live in the, among the Gentiles, we are to live among Gentiles in a way that as they observe us, in some future day, they'll glorify God, even if they've called us evildoers today. Now, I would suggest that has to include, it must include, social media. Social media is not a carved out exception. So if you're getting on there and you're slugging it out, or a counselee's on there and they're slugging it out with another Christian or even a different political group, I would suggest there's some work that needs to be done there. At least questions that need to be asked. So you say, why is this a problem? Let me give you a couple reasons. First, because followers of Christ essentially teach the world that the gospel is powerless if the gospel is not strong enough to help us engage each other on social media. So that the power of the gospel is powerless. And here's the second reason. Because followers of Christ minimize the importance of the body of Christ. And really, that's a function of the world, isn't it? Think about social media narrows your focus. The algorithm, think about the way it works. The more you're on social media, what? The narrower of a view you receive. And everything in your funnel, everything in the view that you receive or in your algorithm, it's there for one thing, to keep drawing you back in. It's to please you. You say, well, I hate this stuff in my social media, but you keep looking at it. So you could hate it, but you keep looking at it. The more you look at it, the more they send you. And now Facebook and other apps as well, but they have their own news feeds and video feeds. And now Facebook has reels. And right, there's so many various ways that they get what's, what you enjoy and it gets narrower and narrower. So as they give you content that fits what you want in your heart, it's easy to what? Lose importance of the body of Christ because you, you're thinking in your small, narrow view. And it's feeding you to think that way. It's helping you think that way. Here's the third reason. Because followers of Christ choose the wisdom from below over wisdom from above. And then you can jot down James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Helps us think through that. 
So it's wisdom from below versus wisdom from above. Wisdom from below is what? It's earthly, sensual, and demonic. And often that's what our social media feeds are. Right now, when we get down to implications, I won't say to you, stay off social media. You may say, oh, I think that's a good implication for me. That's fine. If that's what you desire, I'm not making that claim myself. What I am saying, though, is we have to be careful what wisdom we live from. Right? What we choose to, to have as our guide. So what are then some biblical principles to help us? And I really have just given you a couple here because I think you could add and add and add and add. I've limited it to just a few. Here's the first one and probably, the one, in my mind, one of the greatest. And that is, remember the two greatest commandments. Right in Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And upon these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. So I think we have to remember the two great commandments. If you have space there in your notes, you can jot these two statements. This is the way I like our church to memorize those. The first one is love God supremely. That's the first great commandment. And the second great commandment is to love your neighbor sincerely. Right? Love God supremely, love your neighbor sincerely. That's what the Bible demands when you take the Ten Commandments in Exodus... And summarize those. The summary is love God supremely, love your neighbor sincerely. And on more than one occasion, the Ten Commandments are summarized in that simple of a statement. So then, what are the two things we can think about? Here's one of them. Social media algorithms are set to the opposite of loving God and neighbor. Right? Those are the opposites of what those things are. So as you interact on social media, you have to intentionally choose to love God and neighbor because your social media algorithm isn't encouraging that. Why? What's the other option? Well, the other option that I like to the other option I like to share with people is the option of uh, this, and that is the opposite of the two great commandments would be these: love myself supremely and love my neighbor insincerely. Right? Those are the opposites, and that's really what the algorithm encourages us to do: is to love our neighbor. Uh, to love our neighbor insincerely and to love ourself supremely. So we have to be very careful with that. Okay, then notice the second question on this one is, who are my neighbors? That's a great question too, isn't it? As Christians, we have to have a good sense of who my neighbor is, right? Your neighbor isn't simply 
the person next door, and it's not simply just the person in your church. Right? It includes an entire world, those who are made in the image of God. When the remember when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, might have been a sad, it might have been a Levite, and the Levite is wanting to uh, justify himself. He says to Jesus, "Well, who is my neighbor?" And Jesus gives a pretty broad answer. So, what's the second biblical thing? I think the four rules of communication are helpful. Recall, and I don't have it on your notes there, it doesn't look like. I have the verses, but not the chapter. That's Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verses 25 to 32, there are four basic good principles for communicating in a way that demonstrates you're a Christian or demonstrates you're living worthy of the gospel that you've been called to. In Ephesians 4, verse 25, it's to be honest. Right? Put off lying and put on honesty. So we want to be honest, not just with our words, but in every way. Right? So we just want to be people full of integrity. That's the way you live as a Christian. Why? It says in Ephesians 4.25, because we are members one of another. The second one, if you've never heard these before, would be to keep current. Some of you have heard these in the past. Keep current, which those two verses, verses 26 and 27, says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Right? How often do you see people having a scorched earth social media presence? Right? They're angry at people. They're ang- could be anything. I mean, if you think about this last weekend, for those of you who enjoy sports, uh, the Kansas City uh, defense in NFL football on Sunday night, I think it was Monday night, Kansas City defense tackled the Carr, who is the Raiders quarterback, and probably one of the worst calls I've seen in the NFL. They called it a uh, roughing the passer, which gave the ball back to the Raiders. The Raiders kept the ball, had a 15-yard penalty, when it was an inter- it was a interception, they took the ball out of his hand, and it should have been Kansas City ball on the probably 35-yard line, something like that. Well, boy, I looked on my social media feed, and people were just going crazy, right? Angry, 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 death, profanity, all kinds of stuff. I have a couple friends that might use that. Right, people were using profanity, people were just arguing. It was just amazing to watch. But what are we doing? We're we're really breaking a rule of communication. Right? We're not speaking on social media in a way that honors the Lord. What else? Attack the problem and not the person. Those are important when we think about the way we are talking on social media. Ephesians 4, verses 29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the question you have to ask is, so are these words that I'm using on social media, are they imparting grace? Now, I write a blog... Not daily, but multiple times a week. It's 
Some weeks it's daily, sometimes it's not. It's not. It depends on a number of things. Well, I've learned over the many years that I've been writing that blog and the thousand blogs or something that I've written uh, that it is really important to follow the four rules of communication even when people attack you for it. Right? There will be people who disagree with you and they may say or have any attitude in the world, but it's our responsibility to stay consistent because the moment you're not consistent, what? They're also going to pick that up. And so it becomes very important. And then the final one would be act, don't react. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. So, right, so be kind to one another. So remember the four rules of communication. Here's the other big principle, and that is remember your union with Christ. Remember your union with Christ. There are three passages, right, just to help you think through this, there are three statements. First, we are God's workmanship. Right? We've been created unto good works with God before ordained that we should walk in them. So we are God's workmanship. God is doing a good work in us which demonstrates our salvation. Therefore, as we engage on social media, we cannot forget that we are God's workmanship. So the stuff we say, the stuff we like, the stuff we post, the stuff we put angry faces on, whatever it is that you're doing as you engage on social media or as you talk on TikTok or, right? So there's so many different kinds. I've really been primarily using Facebook as my example. But regardless of the platform you're on, truth or whatever they are, whatever those platforms are, we have to remember, I am the work of God and I have been created unto good works which includes the way I use social media. Why? Because I am in union with Christ. Here's the second one. You are raised with Christ as a new creation. Well, a new creation, what's a new creation supposed to do? Well, if you look in that Colossians 3, 1 through 17 passage, what it says is in the first four verses, it says, keep your mind on things above and then in verses 5 through 9, it says, put these things off. Put to death these certain attitudes and, and do not lie. And it says, why? Because God's taken the old man and taken it off of you and he's placed the new man on you. So because of that, those that are dearly beloved, the elect of God, it says several different things to describe believers. It says, this is what then you need to put on. And it goes from verse 12 all the way to verse 17. And it reminds us in that section about our union with Christ, it says, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And we mentioned a minute ago, love and unity are critical components. You say, well, where's unity in it? Well, it says that you renewed the knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. That's unity. So we have to live in light of unity and love. Here's the third one. You're simply a child of God. 
And as a child of God, you've got to protect the family name. You have a responsibility. So remember, when you interact on social media, that you interact in a way that is consistent with your union in Christ. So then what are some implications that we can draw from what we've talked about? Here's the first one. First two. Is the social internet inherently sinful? And the answer I have for you is no. However, you better use it with extreme wisdom. Right? We would be unwise, we would be wrong to say, oh, well, social internet is sinful. You better not use it. Right? That's, uh, we have some Amish and Mennonite folks that live near us in, in the Missouri Hills. And, and I was with a bunch of them at the hospital this last week, about 30 or so. And they all have flip phones still, right? Because they've identified more than a flip phone as associating with the world, right? That's not, that's one, it's not biblical. And two, we don't want to go there, right? We don't want to look at social media and say, oh, look at all these evil things that can be done on it. Therefore, it must be bad. That's not, my principle is you don't call sin what the Bible doesn't call sin. So we don't want to do that. We want to be careful of that. But, if you're, but when you use it, you need to use it with extreme wisdom. I mentioned to you, my wife chooses not to use it. And that's fine. I'm happy for her not to be on it. If she doesn't want to be. I try to use it with wisdom. Why? Because I can read what's going on in the church. I can read about friends of ours, keep up with prayer requests. There's all kinds of good things that can be done on it. Plus, I run an entire website that um, is fueled through social media. I did an article this week on uh, the newest research on chemical imbalance. Right, That's important research. As biblical counselors, we need to be wrestling with that, thinking about it, reading about it. And so to discuss that, uh, I had to, I mean, that gets placed on the internet, which then gets shared by social media. So just like there are many ways to abuse social media, there are great ways to use it as well. So we want to do it with wisdom. And second one, think before you post, share, or create any content. Is this, whatever you're sharing, going against the two greatest commandments? And let me just say, not just simply the two greatest commandments. I, I, had, a, I had a young person, a young lady, uh, basically recently complain about something related to a pregnancy. Well, this young lady has friends in her same group that she hangs out in that just wish that they could have a baby. Right? So was it sinful? I don't know that she was trying to sinfully complain, this particular lady, about her pregnancy. So you would say, did she break the two great commandments? I don't know that what she said broke them, but it wasn't really that thoughtful toward her friends who would love to have the problem of being pregnant. Right? That's, the kind, that's what I'm talking about when I say just think about before you post. It's not, I would suggest it this way. You, you want to ask the question, is this a sin? That's a great question you can start with. But then the second question is, will this hinder anyone else from running? Right? I'm using the Hebrews 12, uh, 1 and 2 
passage there. Right? So the two questions you can ask in that second thing there is, is it a sin? But the second question you can ask is, will it hinder someone else from running? Will it hinder someone else in their walk with the Lord? Here's the third thing. Consider the amount of time spent on social internet. Is it out of balance for your life? At our house, we have a no phone policy at the table. Why? Because I live with four teenagers. They'd all have their phones. So would dad. I wish it were just the kid problem. It's easy to walk to the table with your phone and it buzzes or does something and then next thing you know, everybody's looking at it. Right? So that's just one small example. Is it out of balance for your life? Well, how much time do you spend on social internet? Here's another one. Consider the impact the above problems have on your relationships. Are you complicating your relationships or minimizing your opportunity to serve because of social internet? Is it possible that what you share actually gives you less of an opportunity to minister to the people around you? I think that's a legitimate question we have to think about. Because if it is, then we probably ought to share less. Because the best thing we can do is what, according to 1 Peter 4, use the words that God gives us as the oracles of God and use the energy God gives us to serve as he wants us to serve, to serve with our abilities. Well, if what I put on social internet is minimizing those opportunities, then I'm not using my energy nor my words the way God wants me to use them. How about this one? Do you practice kindness and forgiveness on the internet? And are you only seeing a curated world that the social media company wants you to? Right? Is the world that you actually see only one that you and the social media have created, which essentially, I'm going to suggest to you, kind of builds idolatry if you're not careful. I saw this online and I thought it would be important. We're just going to read through it. You can. There's one blank there for you to fill in, and that is principles, 12 principles, Romans 12 principles for social internet interaction. Let's just read through them. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't think of yourself more highly than you should in verses 3 through 8. Don't be devoted to one another, verses 9 through 13. Honor one another above yourself, Romans 12:10. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse, Romans 12:14. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn, Romans 12:15. Live in harmony with one another, Romans 12, 16. Do not be conceited, Romans 12, 16. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, Romans 12, 17. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's Romans 12, 18. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. That's Romans 12, 19 through 21. Those are good. And those aren't mine. I just found it was an anonymous thing online, on social internet. <laughs> so I'll share it with you. Um, 
I want to end tonight with five resolutions with what I want to suggest are good resolutions for social internet interaction. Right? If I want you to do anything, if we want our counselees, our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, our parents, <laughs> for some of us, how do we want them to interact? Let me suggest these five ways. First, we must recommit ourselves individually and corporately to the value and importance of building up the body of Christ. My individual opinion can never be more important to me than the body of Christ. The body of Christ, it cost Jesus his life. The body of Christ cost Jesus his life. That's much more valuable than my opinion. So we can't highlight it. Your own opinion more than that. Number two, we resolve to discern our motives in a particular poster interaction. Well, that's tough, isn't it? The question is, what reason am I posting this? Right, that's the question. What's my motive? Here's number three. We resolve when our motives, we resolved when our motives for posting on social media do honor the Lord, then we will evaluate whether our words, timing, attitude, and opinion also honor the Lord. I think resolve on the internet and on your notes has a D, and I think that should not be there. So we resolve when our motives for posting do honor the Lord. You say, I had every good motive. Well, then go a step further and ask, were the words wise? Was my timing right? What about my attitude? What about my opinion? Right? All of those things, do those also honor the Lord? Number four, we resolve to proactively seek to demonstrate kindness compassion, grace, and encouragement to others in the body of Christ. The word you're looking for is the word demonstrate, but I think you could circle the word proactively. We want to proactively do that. And number five, we resolve to contact people privately, humbly, Gently and graciously as you believe someone needs it. We don't have to go online and just tell them a little bit of our opinion. We can do that in other ways. The phone still works. As well as coffee and face-to-face interaction. Uh, lots of stuff to think about, isn't it? Crazy stuff. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that you'll be honored in the way we handle these situations and opportunities. In Jesus' name, amen.